0: Welcome to the Publishers Podcast, your place for psychiatry soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. In this episode, I'll bring you up to date on our latest online selections of important peer-reviewed research and reviews for Part 2 of our March-April 2020 issue. You'll hear a transition tone between summaries. Let's get started. The COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted how connected we are within our communities and across the globe. In an editorial this month, JCP Editor-in-Chief Marlene Freeman comments on the tremendous challenges faced by the international medical community in dealing with this crisis. Go online to read more perspectives on COVID-19, including first-person accounts from physicians in France and Italy. These commentaries are freely available at Psychiatrist.com. Patients with schizophrenia suffer from comorbid alcohol use disorder at a higher rate than the general population. However, no effective pharmacologic treatment is available to date that treats both disorders simultaneously. In this Phase 2 60-week, double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled study, of an olanzapine combination treatment sponsored by Alchemies, researchers demonstrated the feasibility of conducting a large study of over 200 patients in this difficult-to-treat population. Given the nature of the course of illness in these patients, the authors designed a unique endpoint to determine whether improvements in schizophrenia-related or alcohol use disorder-related symptoms were associated with treatments. For assessment criteria, they used the eight possible events of symptom exacerbation that are commonly associated with worsening of the illness. This method provided a creative and unique way to run clinical trials in these patients. While the drug combination treatment of olanzapine and semidorphan did not result in significant improvements, both the combination treatment and olanzapine alone were well tolerated for up to 60 weeks. Although this population with dual diagnoses is typically excluded from clinical trials, this study demonstrates that conducting such trials is indeed feasible, and future studies should be conducted to assess potential new treatments for these patients. Although many psychiatrists acknowledge the importance of emotional dysregulation in attention-deficit hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD, both the DSM-5 and the ICD-10 are silent in this regard. Several ADHD scales have items that address these symptoms. Among them, the Wender-Reimer Adult Attention Deficit Disorder Scale has the most comprehensive set of items. Three of the scale's domains, temper, affective lability, and emotional overreactivity allow definition of ADHD-related emotional dysregulation. In a previous investigation, defining emotional dysregulation using these domains allowed the authors to divide adult ADHD into two subtypes. ADHD inattentive presentation, defined by high scores on the domains of attentional difficulties and disorganization, an ADHD emotional dysregulation presentation, defined by additional high scores on the three emotional domains. The present study refines this observation using a larger, more diverse sample. Across eight clinical trials encompassing nearly 1,500 subjects, the proportion of ADHD emotional dysregulation presentation Range from 25% to 73%. It was associated with greater childhood severity, as measured by the Wender-Utah rating scale, and greater adult severity, as measured by the Clinical Global Impressions Severity of Illness Scale. Both types of patients responded to treatment with atomoxetine or methylphenidate. The success of this more inclusive diagnostic structure proves that ignoring the emotional symptoms of ADHD during the diagnosis is unproductive and unnecessary. The authors propose that symptoms labeled as ADHD-related emotional dysregulation are actually part of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder itself. Expanding the ADHD diagnostic criteria to include an emotional component will promote better clinical care and research efforts. This article is freely available online. Please visit the March-April Table of Contents at Psychiatrist.com. Regional differences in increasing placebo response and diminishing treatment effects were previously reported for acute schizophrenia trials during an 18-year time period between 1991 and 2009. In the current study, researchers provide an updated analysis from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration on the trends in placebo response and treatment effects in acute schizophrenia trials from 2009 onward. The current study included aggregate trial-level efficacy data from three new drug applications— submitted between 2009 and 2015, which included data from 14 trials and about 6,400 subjects. The primary efficacy measure was mean change from baseline in total positive and negative syndrome scale score obtained by last observation carried forward analysis. Regional differences in placebo response and treatment effect were explored for the two time periods, that is, pre-2009, and post-2009. The trends of increasing placebo response and diminishing treatment effects were consistent and continued in the post-2009 time period similar to pre-2009, especially in North American trials. Post-2009, 71% of the trials were multi-regional as compared to 34% in pre-2009 indicating the increasing global nature of drug development. With more pharmaceutical sponsors embracing multi-regional clinical trials for regulatory submissions, trial design and conduct that incorporates mechanisms to minimize placebo response need to be carefully considered. One possible mechanism, for example, could be research on the use of machine learning techniques on pool trial databases, which may provide additional insights on individuals responding to placebo-based on subject-specific risk factors. This knowledge, upon adequate validation, may further be used for trial inclusion or exclusion criteria to increase the efficiency of drug development in schizophrenia. Olanzapine is one of the most efficacious antipsychotic agents available for the treatment of schizophrenia. However, significant safety concerns have limited its clinical use. To explore this issue, the authors of this Phase 3 study, supported by Alchemies, evaluated the antipsychotic efficacy of a combination product containing olanzapine and the opioid receptor blocker, SAMIdorphin, in comparison with placebo, and a lanzapine arm was included as a control. Efficacy was evaluated over a four-week study duration using two measures that are commonly used to evaluate schizophrenia treatments, the positive and negative syndrome scale, or PANS, and the clinical global impressions, severity of illness scale. Safety was also assessed throughout the study. The combination of olanzapine and semidorphin provided significant improvement in schizophrenia symptoms as measured by PANS total score reductions. This improvement was significantly better than placebo at weeks 2, 3, and 4, the study endpoint. Olanzapine also provided significant improvements in schizophrenia symptoms compared with placebo at weeks 3 and 4. The symptom improvements observed for the combination versus placebo and for olanzapine alone versus placebo were similar. The most commonly encountered side effects were observed at similar rates with the combination treatment and olanzapine. The authors conclude that the combination product of olanzapine and semidorphin provided schizophrenia symptom improvements similar to olanzapine. The combination was well tolerated with a safety profile also similar to that of olanzapine. This article is freely available online please visit the March-April Table of Contents at Psychiatrist.com. The development of psychosis for the first time in mid-to-late life presents a diagnostic challenge as there can be primary psychiatric causes as well as other secondary causes, such as neurodegenerative disease. In this CME offering, the authors discussed the case of a patient who presented with new-onset psychosis at the age of 39 and was found to have behavioral variant of frontotemporal dementia. They described the progression of her disease and the finding that she harbored a mutation in a gene called MAPT, which is one of three major genetic causes of frontotemporal dementia. The other two genes, C9, ORF72, and GRN, are more commonly associated with psychosis, but this case emphasizes that psychosis can also occur with MAPT mutations. Red flag features in late-onset psychosis, such as progressive symptoms, a strong family history of psychiatric or neurodegenerative disease, or abnormal findings on neurological examination, should raise concern for possible neurodegenerative etiology. The authors recommend that patients with these features should have an MRI brain scan and be referred to a dementia and neurodegenerative disease specialty clinic for further evaluation. To read this article and take the CME post-test, please visit the March-April table of contents at Psychiatrist.com. Patients with schizophrenia suffer from comorbid alcohol use disorder at a higher rate than the general population. However, these patients remain largely understudied, and treatment options for this difficult-to-treat population are unclear. To address this gap in knowledge, a post-hoc analysis sponsored by Alkermes was conducted using data from Phase one of the Clinical Antipsychotic Trials of Intervention Effectiveness in Schizophrenia Study. This multi-site trial compared the effectiveness of randomly assigned antipsychotics. The authors categorized patients into two groups, those with schizophrenia plus alcohol use disorder, and those with schizophrenia only, and evaluated the course of schizophrenia between them. They also compared outcomes among various antipsychotics in the study. Over 1,000 patients were included. Approximately one-fourth were categorized as having schizophrenia plus alcohol use disorder. The time to first exacerbation and time to first hospitalization were significantly shorter in the schizophrenia plus alcohol use disorder group. In these patients, however, olanzapine was associated with a significantly longer time to first exacerbation suggesting greater effectiveness when compared with perphenazine, quetiapine, risperidone, and zabrazodone. The authors recommend that further research is needed to identify effective treatments for this important yet understudied patient population. <coughs> Clinical identification of major depressive disorder, or MDD, is crucial, as untreated depression is linked to functional impairment and suicide. MDD is common in primary care patients. About 10% are likely to meet diagnostic criteria. Primary care physicians and pediatricians are uniquely positioned to screen for and diagnose depression. In one of two new CME Brief Reports, supported by the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center, you can learn from an expert, Dr. Madhukar Trivedi, about how measurement-based care can help to better identify depression and comorbid conditions. In a second CME brief report, Dr. Trivedi recommends that initial treatment for major depressive disorder should be selected using evidence-based guidelines and individualized according to patient preference, symptoms, comorbid conditions, and prior treatment experiences. Safety, tolerability, and cost should also be considered. When clinicians systematically use assessment tools to monitor symptoms, adherence, and adverse effects in patients with MDD, the results enable informed decision-making. Read this CME brief report to learn from an expert about how measurement-based care can help you care for patients with depression throughout every stage of treatment. To read these brief reports and take these CME post-tests, please visit the March-April Table of Contents at Psychiatrist.com. Repeated relapses in patients with schizophrenia can have life-threatening consequences, including an increased risk of suicide attempts. What can you do to combat relapse in your patients with schizophrenia? In this CME brief report, supported by Alkermes, Otsuka, and Lundbeck, Dr. John Lariello discusses identifying and addressing a major contributor to relapse, non-adherence to antipsychotics. To read this brief report and take the CME post-test, please visit the March-April table of contents at psychiatrist.com. In a recent installment of his Clinical and Practical Psychopharmacology column, Dr. Andrade takes a look at the Fragility Index, which is the smallest number of subjects whose status needs to change for a significant finding to lose its significance. Read this article to learn about the usefulness and limitations of this statistic. Another installment of his column considers the observed association between antidepressants during pregnancy and neurodevelopmental disorders. Could anemia be the culprit? Dr. Andrade takes a closer look at a recent study relevant to this question. The full text of these columns is freely available online. Please visit the March-April table of contents at psychiatrist.com. In closing, be sure to visit us online for interactive activities from our CME Institute and more from the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. You can view the newest online offerings from Part 2 of the March-April 2020 issue on the JCP website at Psychiatrist.com. Thanks for listening. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me next month for the publisher's podcast, Your Place for Psychiatry Soundbites.